church family. It's really good to be with you today. Hope you are enjoying your summer. This week, for me, it was family reunion week, and everybody hit the road this morning, and we're going like this, because you know how it is. You, you love your family, but when they're on the road headed home, there's also a little bit of a sigh of relief. Uh, it was great to be with them, and so grateful that we have the privilege this morning of gathering together in this place. It's a privilege that increasingly we should not take for granted. Uh, Thank you for choosing to be here. We're going to continue this morning in the summer sermon series called Follow. You remember, it now feels like another lifetime when Pastor Joe kicked off this series by reminding us there's this cultural mantra that says, follow your heart. That's what you should do to live your best life. And the words of Jesus paint a different picture. Jesus says, not the heart, follow me. We want to continue that. I hope you've been blessed as we've talked about this idea of what it means to follow the example set by Jesus. This morning we're going to be talking about a topic that is a little bit scary for most believers. If you were to pull folks on uh, these past weeks, prayer, Bible reading, worship, stewardship. What's the most scary thing that comes with being a follower of Jesus? Many would say sharing your faith is the thing that gets them the most worked up. And so today what we want to do is take a look at six simple strategies for sharing your faith. And I would like to pray that God in his goodness would help us this morning to understand that this is a way that we can participate in building his kingdom here on earth, that he's called all of us to this as a follower of Jesus. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, thank you for the good gift of being able to gather in this place, and I ask that in the moments ahead, you would bless us with your voice. What we need most today is to hear from you. We need you to speak, and so I pray that you would give us ears to listen. Would you nudge hearts forward in this journey? We love you and we thank you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. One of the things I hope you've been enjoying these past few weeks is watching some of the events that have been going on over in Tokyo. How many of you, just by show of hands, have seen any minute of Olympic coverage? Have any of you watched some Olympics? Good. So what you should know is that the ratings... I was just reading about this the other day. The ratings for this year's Olympic coverage are way down. People are digesting information in many different ways now. A lot of folks just will watch a highlight on YouTube or Twitter. They'll see the 100-meter dash, and and they're done. They don't tune in like we used to to watch the long program in primetime every evening. Those ratings on NBC have been low. Lots of different reasons for that. But I have an idea that was born out of watching the Olympics, I have an idea how NBC could really raise those ratings. We were watching the Olympics a couple years back. I was with a group of old college buddies, and we were watching a a race. And you know how it goes when when they get in the blocks. uh, Out in the eighth lane is the person who had, like, the worst qualifying time. And so as the camera pans across, they show this 
poor person way out in lane eight, and you know that that person probably is not going to win. And so the gun goes off in 100 meters, and this guy or this woman out in lane eight, they're usually like maybe two full meters behind. And when you watch the Olympics, you think to yourself, that person is terrible. How did they get, how did they even make the Olympic team? They are not as good as some of these elite athletes. So this conversation developed to the point where we started talking amongst ourselves. We were once pretty agile. We were athletes. I bet we could find an event that we could qualify for the Olympics. Maybe it would take two weeks training, but I bet we could find something to qualify for the Olympics. And we were laughing about how funny this would be. But then the idea was born that I think would change the ratings for the Olympics. You see, out in lane eight, that person is actually an elite athlete. It's just a perspective issue. We have a problem with perspective because it seems like two meters back, that's terrible. But they're elite athletes, and the difference is minuscule between the, the first place and the eighth place. What they need to do to raise the ratings is to employ what I would call common man. They need to put a 41-year-old from Butler, Pennsylvania out in lane eight and then see what happens. Because as that gun goes off and those people cross the line, you would see this pale, <laughs> chubby beast of a guy running and straining. Here's Dave from Butler out in lane eight getting to the finish line. I would be wheezing and gasping can you imagine if they employed this new strategy, common man? If, if there was a 10-meter platform diving event and I was standing there about to try a three-and-a-half flip with twist, it, you know people would tune in to watch that <laughs> because it's hard to grasp just how good they are when you watch everybody do the same thing. See, we have this perspective issue and we look at the elite and we say, man, that's different than what we can do. I'm fully aware that it would be awful for me. If I'm jumping in a, a pool to race, it would be the first time they had to jump in with a lifeguard to save an Olympian because they would have to drag me out of that pool. I am very different than the elite class of athlete, despite my perspective issues. What I would say this morning as we think about this topic of sharing your faith, it's easy for us to come to a place where we believe that sharing your faith is for the elite followers of Christ. The disciples who have the most training or seminary degrees, the ones who have a ministry job title. Sharing your faith, well, that is for the pastor or a missionary the official worker. It's very interesting to me how quickly we can move to a place where we think sharing your faith, not something for the common man, it's for the elite. And what I want you to understand today is that at the foot of the cross, there are absolutely no elite followers of Jesus. And he has called each of you, brothers and sisters, part of this church family, he has called each of you to participate as his followers in inviting others to the journey of healing and hope and redemption that he offers. It is not the task of a few, it is the task of all. 
And instead of making it really complicated, it's actually very simple. The best way for us to learn how to do this is to simply look at the life of Jesus and the model that he set for us. He is the elite, but he makes it simple for us. Why? Because he says, I'm with you and I'm helping you. And my goal this morning is to share six simple strategies that you can employ to be part of the kingdom-building effort of God in this community and in this world. If you have a bulletin with you, I invite you to take out your sermon notes, grab a pen somewhere near you, and I want to invite you to write down the things that we're sharing this morning because I believe that when you write it down, it sticks with you a little bit more. And we're going to be moving quickly through these six strategies, and I want you to have one or two or five or six of these that connect with you today. So I invite you to take out your sermon notes and let's jump right in with strategy number one. In everything we do, we want to start with prayer, and this is especially true when it comes to sharing your faith. Here at Community Alliance Church, you are hearing all the time, we want to be a people of prayer, both publicly on Sunday mornings and privately on your Mondays through Saturdays. We want to be people who are committed to prayer. And why do we do this? Because we want to follow the example of the Master, Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, it begins to outline the way that Jesus approached ministry, the way he approached people. Here's what he did. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a solitary place where he prayed. It took tremendous intentionality to wake up early. This is the first difficult step. Uh, To leave the house, to find a quiet place where he could be alone, and to pray. Jesus began this way because he knew that his connection with the Father was important as he began. Right after this verse in Mark, the disciples who'd been frantically looking for him, they find him and they say, Jesus, what's going on? And he says, let's go to some other villages and I'm going to preach there because that is why I have come. His connection with the Father through prayer gave him clarity and focus on where to go and who to speak to. And so what I would invite you to do is to be a people of prayer when it comes to sharing your faith who to talk to, where to go. Would you ask God to open your eyes and to illuminate to you where you can be part of sharing your faith? I want to give you a practical step with each of these strategies as well so that it's not just this theoretical, but a really easy practical step to take. And this one, I want to challenge you to make a list. When we start with prayer, one of the easiest ways, the most intentional ways is to make a list of people's names who you would like to share the good news of Jesus with. This is a a couple of note cards, hole punched in it, little ring put in it that my daughter made when she was six years old. It is incredibly simple to make a list. And we make lists all the time. We were laughing several weeks back when Joe was talking about how much do people love lists. We love making lists. But most of the time, the lists that we're making are actually about things that are really trivial. Like, don't forget to buy the Oreos when you make the trip to the store. Add it to the list. Make sure that you don't forget. We make lists all the time about stuff that ultimately does not matter for eternity. 
And I'm asking you this morning, strategy one, start with prayer, make a list. She put on this 17 names of classmates that she had at her school who did not know Jesus. And it was amazing to see as she began to pray, a six-year-old began to grow in her love and her desire to see these friends of hers know Jesus. My wife and I copied this, and we made lists as well, and it was phenomenal to see the way that God expands your heart with love for the people that you're praying for. You will start to care for people more when you pray for them. And so strategy one, start with prayer. Practical step, make a list and watch what God does in giving you opportunities to share your faith. Strategy number two, we want to be a people who seek the lost. To be spiritually lost means that people are far from God. Sometimes this is willfully because they've rejected the truth of God and they are lost of their own choice. There's other times where people are ignorantly lost. They've never heard the good news of Jesus. But it doesn't really matter why they're lost. The reality is that God's heart beats for the lost. Jesus told many stories about what it means to seek the lost. One of the most famous is in talking about, imagine a shepherd who had 99 sheep, they lost one. They would leave the 99 sheep and go find the one. In fact, Jesus says this about the mission that he had. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is why he came. And for us, when we think about the spiritually lost, it's easy for that to feel sort of theoretical. But when you make it more personal, you start to understand what it means. See, my little daughter, who was six when she made this, she's now eight. I want you to imagine with me in a busy shopping mall at Christmas time with my little daughter. And I want you to imagine for a moment that my wife and I look at each other and with that panicked realization, I thought she was with you, you thought she was with me, neither of us know where she is. Have you ever been in that circumstance where you have the horrible realization that you cannot find your child? Awful feeling. And so what happens right away is that all focus and attention comes to the mission of seeking the lost one. People get uh, recruited to join the effort. Help me find my lost child. What color clothes does she have on? Pink dress. Everybody's on a mission to find the little girl in the pink dress. Swiftly, people join. And where they had just been walking, browsing the shop windows, grabbing a bite to eat, getting a cup of coffee, having a conversation, all of a sudden they were recruited to a search party and they found the little girl in the pink dress. I'm looking at you this morning and I want you to understand that emotion that you would feel if your kid was lost is what God looks at you now and says, brothers and sisters of Community Alliance Church, my children are lost. Would you join in to the search party to seek the lost? Would you be people who understand what it means to do that? A practical step in this is that often it requires us to cross a boundary 
from comfort into discomfort, we have to be willing to cross that boundary. Why do I say this? Because, again, the example of Jesus is one who crossed the boundary from comfort to discomfort. He came to walk among us to seek and save the lost. This means for us, practically speaking, that we will often have to cross a boundary, perhaps from a neighborhood that is called good into one that is called not so good. Perhaps a street to connect with somebody. Perhaps a hallway at your workplace or school. Perhaps the living room to have a chat with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Perhaps an international border to go and connect with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. We want to be the people who stand up and cross the boundary to seek the lost because that is what Jesus did for you and for me. And as his followers, we have the privilege to joyfully cross the man-made boundaries that keep us separated. When you cross the boundary, you are following the example of Jesus. This is the mark of a follower, somebody who says, my comfort is not of paramount importance. I will cross the boundary to discomfort. Strategy number three that's important. When you arrive and when you find the person who is lost, the first question you should ask is, how can I serve my neighbor, the one who is right here in front of me, in what ways can I now serve? Jesus looked at the religious leaders of his day and was very harsh with them because he said everything they're doing is for the purpose of being seen by people. And Jesus looked at his followers and said, not so with you. The greatest among you will be your servant. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom. He, he really gave us an example of this in his ministry when he said, I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. This was his closest friends, the disciples. He said, I've washed your feet. You ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Would you be people who serve your neighbor? As you consider this question, how can I serve my neighbor? The practical step is to figure out how to find your fit and begin right here in our church family. See, serving is a muscle. If you don't use it, you get weaker. But if you use your serving muscle, you get stronger. And this is a perfect place to work out your serving muscle. Every week, we have a lot of opportunities to serve, especially the people who are coming in from our community, ushers and greeters and children's ministry and worship team, to create an environment of warmth and welcome here. So that in our church family, when people come in from the outside, they do not get a back turned to them, but they get arms outstretched and welcoming. Would you find your fit here at this community and practice serving? If you come in here every week and sit down and then stand up at the end and walk back out, I want to just respectfully tell you that you are missing out on God's best for you. This is not a dinner cruise experience for our church community. A dinner cruise is one where you get dressed up, you walk in, you sit down, you receive entertainment. When it's done, you sit up, you stand up, you grab your coat, and you walk off. This is not a dinner cruise community. This is much more like one in which every person picks up a paddle 
and all of us straining together paddle forward. This is a community of serving because we want to follow the example of Jesus. And what happens when you begin serving in this place, you realize that then we have a great opportunity to take that same attitude out into our community, serving our neighbors and ultimately the world. Jesus was all about serving and any sharing of faith that we are going to do that will be effective in the long run will begin with this as a foundation. Would you find your fit? Would you embrace the low position of serving? Not to be seen by people, but to follow the model of Jesus. Serve one another, serve your neighbor, and serve this world. Strategy number four, I invite you to consider the example Jesus set. You should set the table. Set the table. Earlier this week, uh, on Thursday, I had the, the holy privilege of sitting with a dear lady who was near the end of this life's journey and praying with her, reading the Psalms to her. That's a moment that offers great clarity because the things that we get worked up about in life, in those moments when somebody is near death, everything kind of becomes crystal clear, what's important and what's not. And in that moment, as I was reading from Psalm 23, I was struck again by the reality of what awaited this lady. Psalm 23, verse 5 says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You prepare a table for me. God is in the business of setting a table for you. Revelation 19, it says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. What awaits you is a feast. And we have the opportunity to give people a foretaste of that by inviting them to the table, to set the table. This is what Jesus did. Look at his example that the master set. The scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners. And they said to his disciples, How is it? that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. The religious elite in the day of Jesus were indignant that this was his strategy. Why is he doing that? And I believe that the reason Jesus did that is because in a gathering like this, there's one person talking, but there's not a whole lot of conversation. And around a dinner table, that's where conversation happens. Authentic questions are asked vulnerable topics are discussed. The dinner table is the place where sharing your faith is the most authentic and real and raw. And so I would invite you to be people who just very practically say, how could we practice hospitality? It is a dying art in our day and age. We are in a hurry. It is inconvenient. It's often a little bit awkward to invite people into our home. And yet, I believe this is such a powerful way to share your faith. Why did God give you the fire pit? Why did he bless you with chairs on the back porch? Why did he allow you to have a kitchen table where you can sit and eat? It's not just for you. It is to be shared. And sharing your faith often involves sharing your food. Would you invite people in and share with them in that context? You're inviting them to join you ultimately at the grand feast that awaits all of us. Would you be a people who are hospitable?
Strategy number five, as we have opportunity, we have prayed, we have sought, we have decided how can we serve, we've invited people into our homes and fellowships, and then this moment comes when God asks us to speak the truth. For me, this is where it gets the most difficult. Because most people won't be upset at you if you tell them, I'm praying for you. I'm willing to cross into your turf. I'm going to serve you. I'll feed you food. People don't get real upset at any of that. Those are kind of the fun strategies. But then this one starts to feel really awkward, especially in our culture today. Because speaking the truth directly to people and identifying areas of their life that are causing pain is not something that is culturally acceptable in our country. Speaking the truth is terrifying. And yet we see over and over that Jesus did not simply uh, stick with the first four strategies, but he also employed this one, and he spoke the truth. We're terrified to do it because it's not culturally acceptable, but I'll tell you one place where you always want somebody to be honest with you. When you visit your doctor because you have some unexplainable pain, you want that doctor to take a good look and to test and then to give you the honest truth about what you need to do. You don't want a doctor who just sort of uh, shoves it under the rug and says, everything is pretty good. You want a doctor who's going to be honest with you. Give me the hard truth. Give it to me straight because I want to know what steps I need to take to begin my healing journey. Is there a medicine I need to take? Is there some surgical intervention, a diet change, exercise change? Tell me, doc, because I want to get moving on the healing so I can enjoy my future. I can get back to the things I love to do. You don't want a doctor who is going to hide the truth from you. And in the same way, Jesus showed us that the most loving thing to do is to speak truth to people. Look at what he did in Mark chapter 10. There was this wealthy young man who came to Jesus, literally bows down before him, says, what do I need to do, Jesus, to live this good life? And Jesus asked him, all these commands that man said, I've kept all of those since I was a child. And this scripture is phenomenal because Jesus looked at him. Jesus was able to discern what was going on in the heart. And it says, Jesus showed love to him. This is a loving approach. He said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus showed love to this man by identifying the thing that was keeping him bound up, his greed, his addiction to the material things of this world. And in doing so, Jesus also ended with an invitation. Get rid of what's keeping you bound up and then come and follow me. See, the truth of Jesus is always invitational. You're not slamming somebody. You're saying, I understand that there's pain and there is a better way to live. There's a better way. You're inviting them to a better way. And so the practical step that I would ask you to take is to ask a question. A good doctor comes into the room and says, tell me 
where it hurts. Tell me how long it's been hurting. Tell me on a scale of one to 10, what's the pain? And the doctor is able to put together a plan for healing. Many times we view speaking the truth as coming in and just hammering people with all the truth that we know. And there's a very different approach that helps us to be very specific. Jesus was always asking questions and discerning what it was that people needed. And so as you speak the truth, would you speak the truth about who he is and the healing and the hope that he offers? Would you speak the truth about what he's done for you already? As you do that, you are pointing people to Jesus. Do not shy away from speaking the truth. It goes hand in hand with serving, setting the table. It's part and parcel of being a follower. The last strategy that I would like to share with you, strategy number six, is to stand on his promises. To stand on his promises. When it comes to, let's take a look at this verse, when it comes to uh, the command of Jesus to go into all the world and to make followers, to make disciples, we often will focus on the top line, go and make followers of all people. But this morning, as we draw to a close, I want to remind you of the promises that he makes at the end of these verses in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says, you can be sure that I will be with you always. I will continue with you until the end of the world. Jesus does not send you out into this world alone to complete this task. Sharing your faith can feel scary and overwhelming, but it's not our power that we're doing this in. We go and we share the message of the surpassing power of Jesus in our lives. He is with you. He is helping you. And so the practical step in this is to trust him and to add a piece to the puzzle. To add a piece to the puzzle. In my family, when we, <laughs> excuse me, when we do puzzles together, we love completing the whole picture. And we started doing this, uh, it, it was kind of a funny little strategy. I started actually just taking a puzzle piece and putting it into my pocket. And when we would get to $9.99, everybody would look around desperately like, oh, we bought a dud puzzle, we're missing a piece. And then I would come in heroically and complete the picture. What ended up happening then is that all five of us started doing this, and we would get to the end of the puzzle, and there'd be five pieces missing, and we'd look around sheepishly, a little guilty. We'd all take out the piece. The motivation in that was that we all wanted to be the one who put in piece number 1,000. We wanted to be the one to complete the picture. And so as you stand on his promise that he's with you, I want you to understand that your job is not necessarily to complete the puzzle. It's to add a piece to the puzzle. Would you be willing in some way to consider an act of service? When you serve your neighbor, you're adding a piece to the puzzle. When you set the table, it feels mundane, but you're adding a piece to the puzzle because it's there that you could have a conversation. When you start with prayer and begin to name people, you're adding a piece to the puzzle for them. And I would just ask you to consider, when you speak the truth, you're adding a piece to the puzzle. 
And we all think piece number 1,000 is the most important one, but you got to put all the rest of the pieces in. Statistics tell us that people need multiple touch points with followers of God before they will make a commitment to him. And so maybe it's piece number 273. It feels insignificant, but in the kingdom of God, you're adding a piece and you're helping to move towards the completion of the picture, which is his work to do. And so it seems mundane, it seems trivial, but I would beg you to consider how you could add a piece to someone's puzzle and help complete the image that God is working to create in their lives. Let's pray together. God, would you, in your goodness, lead us to the people and the places where we can be your faithful followers and share the good news of who you are. God, this is not something that we can do in our own power. And so we come to you today asking that you would fill us with your power and an awareness of your presence so that in the days to come, we would be faithful to add a piece to the puzzle. There's so many things that feel insignificant, and yet we know, God, that when you move through us, that all of it is an act of service and love, sharing faith with those who need to hear. And so, God, would you use us to that end? May you receive glory and honor as the King of all kings. Would you use us, I pray, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?